Welcome to More Business, More Life podcast. I'm your host, Steve Napoliton. This show is for C-level executives, entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, and speakers who have found success, but they don't have the life that they want. On this weekly show, we're gonna be talking about business skills to have more business while we design our ideal life and have more life. More business, more life without sacrifice. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the More Business, More Life podcast. And today we have Gustav, some people call him good stuff. And we're going to jump in and talk about life in general and how, you know, we don't want to work really hard and then retire. We actually want to live now. And we're going to talk about many different ways um, that Gustav's been able to do that and teach that. And let's jump into the show. Well, welcome to the show, Gustav. Uh, It's beautiful to have you. Absolutely great to be here. A nice autumn evening in South Africa. It's, it's, uh, it looks beautiful. I'd love to. It looks like a nice relaxing pool back there. It's uh, beautiful. And I know if people don't know how to pronounce your name, Gustav, then they call you good stuff. And, you, and I, heard, I know you don't have a problem with that. <laughs> um, one of my Zulu friends, when I introduced myself, I said Gustav and the person said good stuff. And I said, I can live with that. It's okay. So we can go by that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's beautiful. When you met my daughters, I know you had told them that story, and and that's beautiful. And the reason I wanted to have you on the show, and ever since I met you, I knew that we would do uh, do one of these interviews together because we have so many similar viewpoints, and you know the way that you've raised your family around your work, and that's the whole idea of more business, more life is that we design our life and then we build our our businesses around that and I think you've done that your family uh, came first absolutely um i I just realized that um so many people are climbing the ladder of success, and then at the end of the life it's standing against the wrong wall, and they don't get the meaning out of life. And um, I remember when I started my career as the in-house coach of a big petrochemical company and speaker, I realized that the guys are really good at what they do, but they don't have a life while doing it. And therefore, that was my, my starting point, that I actually started this whole program, Get a Life. And whenever, uh, wherever I bump in the world into people that share this, the moment I met you, I realized this man knows how to get life balance. I mean, you live it. You don't just talk about it. Lots of people can write books about it, but some people live it. And this is why our spirits resonated. And because I think you can be a great coach also to, to, to help other people, not to only to make a living, but to really have a life. And that's what's so important. You know, I, often people ask me, they're like, are you a business coach or a life coach? And I said, well, tell me, when do you die when you go to work? Exactly. I love that. Uh, My answer to that would be yes. I am both. (laughs) Yeah, that's that that's that's exactly because how uh, it's so interchangeable. When it's not good at work, it shows up at home. When it's not good at home, it shows up at work. I mean, we're living this life, and you know what's most important. You know, it's the saddest thing for me when I meet people that are doing a job to make money, and then the thing that they're a genius at, the thing that that's just resonating out of them is on the side. And then as we get older, you see people now that that thing on the side doesn't even happen because they don't have the energy left and they're so beat up from, the, from what they're doing to make money that they're not living their, their genuine passion. And if they actually open that door, more abundance would come to them because that's their genius. Absolutely. I think the missing link is um, people go for um, perhaps where the money is, but not where their talent is. And um, us motivational speakers, we, we, we actually take people a little bit on the wrong path we, we, when we say just follow your passion. You must not always follow your passion because otherwise I would end up in a beach and become a, a nice hippie again. Um, perhaps I look like one with my lockdown beard. <laughs> but fact of the matter is um, what people miss in life is the connection between talent and, and need. You know, um, finding your life purpose, I thought it was a general thing. I realized very few people are really living their life purpose. And that is, you start off at life by experimenting. Is this me? Is this me? It's 100% me? No, not yet. But I think you reach the sweet spot, spot, the zone, which I call it, is when you look in the mirror and you see, what do I have in myself? I've got talents. And I mean, I always tell people, you are born as a solution to a problem. 
Um, and you've got talents. You were given this God-given talents for a purpose, not to keep it for yourself. But lots of people do talent discovery, and even companies have, have talent managers that help people to develop talent. But do they connect it to the need? A good HR person is a person who says that this talent must be connected to this need. And you really find your life purpose. Um, if you do not only look in the mirror, but you also do this, and you do needs analysis and talent analysis, and a, and a life purpose is born. And I mean, we're all adults enough to know that to get something born, you need two parties. But that through a, a, a fertile interaction takes place when your talent meets a need. You know there's a need in the world. You say, I'm the man for the job. And very often the best man for the job is a woman. Right, right. That's so true. It's uh, absolutely true. And, you know, it's, and even I heard someone, I don't remember where or who it was, unfortunately, but I, you know, someone was saying, we need to stop asking our children what they want to be when they grow up and ask them what problem they want to solve. Yes, yes. And, and, and the starting point is, this is exactly, and I literally ask that to my children. I think you and I had a conversation in Auckland, New Zealand about this. And resulting from that conversation, I started to ask this for my children. And um, um, my other child, she was nine years old. She's now a little older. I think she told me, she said, I'm going to solve global warming. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> We're waiting for you. Thank you. Working on it. <laughs> yes, yes, please. Yes. But at it's, least yeah. she started thinking about it. Uh, right. And, right? and the, the problem is the, the people start with, you know, what is, what is the problem in the world? We're chasing goals of having um, or goals of, of, of doing. And we think if we have this, I will be happy. Or if I do this, I will be happy. Now, I still live by this old um, um, psychologist or psychiatrist, Eric Fromm, who wrote a book to have or to be. The starting point should not be what do you want to have. The starting point is what are you? What am I? I am inspiration. I am energy. I will give this to the world. And um, what was Mother Teresa? She was love. She gave it to the world and she changed the world. And you don't have to change the world. You only have to change your world. In changing your world, you're changing the world. And therefore, this is, this is an amazing thing that's, that we can focus on. So, so don't go to, I'm, I'm a human being. What is your being? And if you live from the core of your being, you know, if you know you're an apple tree, then you know what to do on Monday morning. Yeah. But you know when you stress in life, if you're an, if you're an apple tree and Monday morning asks of you to produce um, oranges, then it's not a good day. And that's where we're living outside of our genius. You know, like I, when I first started uh, going towards personal growth, I thought I was making myself better. But what I found was I was actually chipping away at all the things I thought I was supposed to be, or this person told me, or or that community, or school, or whatever it was. And I I actually found me because I think you know we come as ourselves, and then layer upon layer upon layer of of growing up comes onto us and then we don't know who we are anymore. And I definitely lived that because I was living someone else's life. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about telling these stories because I found out it's not true. You know, you don't have to live someone else's life. You can live your life. And, and that was what per now I believe personal growth is letting go of all the layers so you can be you. Yeah, it's, it's not about conforming. It's about becoming. And um, the nice thing, I remember when I was a, I was a student, um, I, I really wanted to, I went on to this journey to find myself. And then you go to your parents and say, give me an air ticket and then we fly to another place to find yourself. Um, the problem is, um, my parents should have told me, said, listen, go to the airport and just do this and find yourself there and then make something out of yourself. So I think all of us must just do this. So, okay, here you are. I found myself. Now make something out of yourself. Because at the end of your life, People are going to ask you, um, you, got, you got the gift of life. What did you do with it? Did you make a mess or a success? And, and if you live not true to your being, then you're on the wrong track from the outset. But if you, if you connect to your core, then, then you can really connect your life purpose. So this self-discovery process is important. What do I have? And what do I have to offer to the world? Um, um, I have talents. The world have needs. If you connect needs and talents, um, then voila, a life purpose is born. It's uh, it's so beautifully said, Gustav. Is and and when we find that, then I find like the universe conspires to give you what you need. Then all the abundance, what you need, comes because you're in alignment. I often say as a metaphor, it's like 
the train being on the rails. You know, often when we're when we're not living our life purpose, we're like pulling our train through the dirt and and it hurts and it doesn't feel good. And then when you find your thing, it's like, woo, you know, and the train just goes right down the track and it's and you you find now it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy every single day, but it's definitely ten times I've found, and I don't know if you found the same smoother. And you know, the moment you get there, the, the trek is not always happy. A lot living a happy life is not lying on a beach under an umbrella with a glass with a little umbrella in it. It is really connecting to your life purpose, even in difficult times, whether it is coronavirus times, whether it's a difficult time to go through in your life, whether it's whatever, it's a war, whatever. If you take your talent and you really connect it to a need, you go to bed with a sense of accomplishment that, that I've, I've earned my oxygen on earth. You know, a lot of people, <laughs> I jokingly say, so if, if you're not connected, you're a bit of an oxygen thief um, because you're just a consumer, not yet a contributor. Um, you're a tourist, not yet a transformer. So if you just live this life for yourself and not beyond yourself, you know, life is interesting. It's like the eye. If the eye sees itself, it becomes blind. A cataract in the eye is the eye seeing itself. But the eyes must see through it. So um, I always tell my clients, and until I had my children, I, it was easier. But I always say, children are not given to you. They're given through you to life. And your only task is to sit with them and connect them and, and to create a space where they can discover themselves. And, and we do that very often. But we do not take our children enough out of the world. We live in such um, easy environments that we don't take our children out and really, and this is why you have a good life with your children because you take your children to the world. You see the needs in the world. You just do not just live a, a cushy existence in a nice, nice place, in a nice house somewhere in, in the country you live. But if, if you really want to see the world, then you know where to connect your talent. And I think that is, must be part of our upbringing, not just self-discovery, but discover the world and show them the needs and the opportunities, and then they will do the connection. Wasn't it Plato that said the, the mind of a child is not to be filled, but to be in, in I think, uh, he didn't say empowered, but I forget the word. He, it's like spike sparking a fire, but he, I can't, I don't know why I'm blanking on the word, but you know, it's to ignite. I think maybe it's to ignite their mind, not to, and exactly what you said, not to fill it. And or to format that which is even worse. You know, many years ago, I'm, there was one of the best exhibitions I've seen in the world was the Leonardo da Vinci exhibition, which was, and I, did, I saw it twice, once when I was younger, and then um, I took my children there the other day. And I was literally standing there in awe about this man's talent, probably one of the most brilliant human beings who lived there. And I researched his life. Um, interestingly enough, his greatest asset was that he was born out of wedlock and was not allowed into the rigorous um, um, uh, religious schools of those days. And because of that, the teachers couldn't format his mind. He taught himself to write. He wrote actually his own letters and he, he wrote from left to right because he was left-handed, it's easier to do this. Um, although he was, was, uh, was an Italian. And Leonardo da Vinci um, actually, actually um, taught us that if people can format your mind, I once saw a cartoon of the school building and the children walk in here and the one has got music in the bubble above the head and the other one, other one has got architectural plans and the other one has got nice palms and everything. They walk through the school and it's blank, blank, blank. And very often, not that the schooling system is bad, but very often people try to impose, try to format a mind instead of bringing it forward. I also saw the same in rugby coaching. Um, many years ago, the coaches want to, was, it, rugby coaching was sort of the, like the military. You take this guy, you break him down, and he becomes that he doesn't have a will of his own, that he can just, um, on your command, do what he, you do. So you take a diamond and you actually squash it to become dust and then make clay out of it. And that's terrible. Nowadays, even in sports coaching, and this is the same what we do in executive coaching, you do not want a person to conform. You want to take the person, the natural talent of this person, and shape the diamond um, and bring out the brilliance. And therefore, don't crush the diamond, shape the diamond and bring out the brilliance. And we must do it with our children, with ourselves, but also with our clients. It's so true. And I don't know if you've ever, uh, just one uh, plug that would add to what you're saying is Peter Gray. Have you ever uh, read any of his stuff? You know, Boston University, but he's he calls it free to learn, free to learn instead of, because we have 
basically manufactured schools with certain amount of thoughts, you know, that everyone is going to be average when then it does make average instead of all, everyone is a superstar in their own, you know, given right. And then when you exactly what you're saying, you squash it all down and then make the same brick for everyone, then, uh, yeah, that, that can make the world a pretty boring place and, and really take the will away from all the amazingness, right? So, and, and the beauty is, remember in our schooling days, they only tested two intelligences, your verbal intelligence and your nonverbal intelligence. And this is so-called the, the IQ test that we did. And wasn't it great that, that intelligence was expanded? And, um, and that, um, what is the old story, whether, true, whether it's true or not, that Einstein actually didn't pass one of his exams be, um, um, because, not one of his exams, one of these school years, because they tested, in, tested intelligences that, that he didn't sort of major in. Um, so fact of the matter is, the, the way that you have emotional intelligence and interpersonal intelligence and logical mathematical intelligence and and verbal intelligence and musical intelligence and three-dimensional intelligence and, and all those intelligences. So, so we must honor people, not only because we think there's one kind of intelligence, um, but because a 3D intelligence is, is an amazing intelligence and people must just apply that specific intelligence and the world needs your intelligence. I repeat, you are born with these talents as a solution to a problem. Um, and the problem, once they conform you and try to fit you and squeeze you into something that you're not, this is where you lose your authenticity. That's it. And then, then it took me over a decade uh, and hundreds of thousands of dollars spending on myself to undo that, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, you know, to work through it. That's, that's, what, I, that's what, I, uh, what I had to do. And I guess, you know, speaking to that, was, was your, your thought process, your life always this way? Or was there like a turning point in, in your life, Gustav? You know, um, I was fortunate in, in one, one aspect. Um, I grew up in a house. My, my father was a um, psychologist and, and also a minister of religion. So, so he, was, he was a combination between the two, a deeply spiritual man, but a highly learned man in, in psychology. And um, um, we, I, I grew up in the heyday of apartheid in South Africa, and, and the, you, your minds had to conform to this political thing. And my father said, no, 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 Gustav. I don't expect of you to conform. I expect of you to keep an open mind. He taught me a curiosity. And I think this is the starting point of learning because he was a bit of a rebel in his own right. And until this day, I, um, I think learning starts when you're a bit of a rebel because I, I always, he always said, Gustav, don't talk about people, talk to people. And that made me to travel. And I, then, then he, he sort of, when you want to go, your mom always wants to keep you back and your dad says, go. And, and that was the best thing that happened to me because I've learned more through traveling by, by taking what you think and testing it in, in, in other contexts. And that, that learning was, was probably um, that curiosity. I mean, it caused me a lot of pain. <laughs> I, can, I can show you the marks um, because curiosity sometimes kills the cat. But, um, but curiosity is the starting point of learning. And, and, but it, that thing grew. Um, you're still a child of your time, and that thing grew. And, and there was an old saying, which I discovered the other day, that you, you must even question your own thinking. Um, I'm now at the point that I don't even believe everything I think. Yeah. And that you constantly, you're open. It's not that you don't have any, any principles. I stand on strong principles. But um, I, I remain teachable. Let's say, convince me of something better, then I'll go that way. But probably one of the best, if people do hiring companies, don't just get a good guy with, which is not teachable. You will teach him nothing. Get a guy who's teachable. That, that should be one of the criteria on any HR person's hiring list. A good, teachable person. I think even, um, you know, so many people have said this before. In Jim Collins' book, Built to Last, he brings that, he brings that up. You know, it's like the companies and organizations that have lasted the longest, they stayed true to their core purpose but they were willing to change everything else. And I met, I, the first time I met Charles Schwab, I was a young man. I was actually teleprompting when I was going to film school and I got this job. I did a good job. And so then they started giving me these CEOs. And so I, I was a little nervous and I wasn't that good of a writer. And you're, you're sitting there with the person's script and he's about to go on stage and speak to thousands of people. And just before he's going on stage, he comes over 
And he said, are you my teleprompter? I'm like, yes. And uh, he's like sitting right next to me on the bench now. And he's looking at right at me and he's like, we got to make some changes. And I, I said, right now? Like he was literally going to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then he turned to me and he looked at me and I didn't realize how profound this was when I heard it the first time. It was many years later. I'm like, wow, that made a huge influence in my life. And he said, change is to business as air is to life. And so, yes, we're going to make changes. And, and that like just, and I didn't realize at the time I was like, okay, I was still thinking about making the changes and hurrying up. And, but after that, I always remembered that to this day. And I think it definitely got me thinking about change, you know, to be like, cause that's what you're talking about here is like, you, there's a constant inside of your heart, right? That is driving you to do what you, the good work you want to do on this, on this planet. But then on top of that, you're willing to be uh, a student the rest of your life. Right. And I, I think that's where I'm at. I'm going to I'm going to be a teacher anywhere that I can and how I can help others. But I'm always going to be a student as well. There's so many more things uh, that I can learn. Absolutely. I, th I think the thing is um, in, in the change management things that we do, I always say that change is not um, necessarily part of life. I ask people, is change part of life? Then they say yes. Then I say, no, it's not. Change is life. And therefore, um, in the learning, I mean, I, I actually heard that um, uh, Jack Welch said, you must be um, a learning organization. But then I thought that is not, that is not yet far enough. And you must be quite confident to, 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 to differ from a, a, a huge mind like that. But I, I thought you must take it one step further. If you're going to a learning organization, you're learning a few things. But I've, I've, I've realized that it is, we think it is learn, do, teach. But I realized it is very often learn, teach, do. And therefore, I advise people that you must turn your company into a teaching organization. Um, and that's that internal mentorship. And the funny thing is, I, I, probably you found it in your own life, the things I teach most, I actually start doing myself after a while. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> because it's so, it's so true. Like <laughs> We are good at talking the talk, but not always walking the walk. And... Um, and therefore, you must not only talk the thing and you must do what you, what you say. And so so the, the only important thing is, is if you teach downwards, you push yourself upwards. Um, and that probably will make the world a better place if we turn our companies not only in learning organizations, but in teaching organizations. The problem is people fear that people will supersede them. But you know, a good teacher loves it when his pupils go past him. And the more you teach, the more you add your own value, then you can, you actually push yourself upwards. People will never go past you the more you teach. It's uh, it's a growth mindset versus shrinking mindset because if you're pushing everything down, you're not letting yeah. it grow first. Yeah. You know, first and foremost. And then I heard a saying: uh, if you want to learn something, read about it. If you want to get good at it, do it. But if you want to master it, teach it. Right? And <laughs> and that and and that can happen quickly. People often think, oh, you have to wait till you're a master to teach, and that's not that's not true. You know, if you even look at martial arts, which I I'm not. Uh, proficient in any of them, but I've looked at them uh, enough to notice that as you advance in the belts, right, you know, they go from like white belt to black belt in many martial arts, then then uh, as you're, you're learning, as you go up the ranks, then you're teaching the ones just below, which even makes more sense because you're closest to that learning. You know, the black belt is so far from what the white belt had learned, you know, so the mechanics actually sometimes become easier for that teacher because they just learned it. The best time to teach something is right after you learn it because it's fresh in your mind. And then that's how the mastery starts to come in. So even when I teach companies about training regiments is to have some of the people that have just learned teach again because that it's repetition. It starts getting it uh, soaked into the mind quicker. And then they all like, and so I never called it a teaching organization, but this is This is how you and I always talk, right? I'm like, I do that same thing, but I, I say it in different words, you know, it's, uh, and I found the same thing that if you get everyone teaching, then the leaders can go work and solve uh, other problems. They don't, they, they don't have to do that because their people are teaching themselves. Exactly. And you've taught me something tonight. I've never thought about it in this way, that, that the closer you are to mastering it, the better teacher you are. Because the guy at the top forgot about that sort of learning curve, how difficult it was. So thank you for enriching my life with, 
with that specific one. It's uh, we both. This is how uh, we sharpen our tools, right? Because I, I hear the words you're saying. I'm like, wow, how eloquent that is. And even uh, so, the same. We're learning from each other. This is uh, this is so beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it it is good. exactly. I think the whole question of um, of of teaching is. Um, I've realized in um, it is literally every seminar I present. I mean, the Get Our Life workshops that I present on helping people to give them their architectural plans. As I present, I'm going through my own checklist. So you force yourself constantly to 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 stay up to date. And it's beautiful that you're doing that because, as you know, you and I both know, like when I started speaking, I was sometimes disheartened because the person I saw backstage was not what I saw on stage. And, and i I felt the opposite, you know, um, I better be living what I'm saying on stage, you know, like it just didn't, it, it didn't compute to me. Like it, it was a must. And, you know, I, I learned very quickly that people are going to watch us more than listen to us. Yeah, there's there's the old saying. If if, if you're a parent and you're, a, uh, I love the time to to see you with your family there in in Namibia and Swakopmund. <clears throat> but you know, um, children don't do what you say; they do what you do, and therefore you very often see your own behaviour, and then you're a little bit ashamed of that that you see in in your children. So um, it reminds me also of of probably one of the great minds of old Saint Francis of Assisi that said. You must preach every day and only if really necessary, use words. <laughs> and and I, I took that thing. And, um, you know, in, our, in the speaking industry, um, it is, as, as we said, it's easy to talk the talk, but it's difficult to walk the walk. Um, but in, in all our conferences um, we go into, if you're in a professional um, industry, you want to, to do your skill better. So we want to speak better and we want to organize our business better. But there was a missing link. Because exactly that you see, that public uh, um, presentation of a, a branding of yourself and the person on the stage is not the person in real life. So when I was president, I reframed it and I said that you must not only speak better or organize your business better, but you must be better. And isn't that the interesting thing? Is it to have or to be? Is it to, to be eloquent or to be the message? You must not talk the message, you must be the message. And, and, and it's difficult sometimes. I mean, we all struggle to, to bring it all together. You want to have an international career. You want to keep your family together. Um, and, but if you put your mind to it, you can do it. It is, it is the most fantastic thing. This is why I appreciate you so much, because everywhere I go, um, your kids are either there or you're very, very, very close to them or talking fondly about them. And you know that I travel in the world, so um, that, I, that I include my, my children. You know, the greatest thing I've learned, and probably it's from my old psychologist dad, when I was a, a, a primary school boy, he, he got invitations before there were professional speakers. He was speaking all over the country. And one farmer invited him and said, listen, um, I've got a private um, a small aeroplane, um, a prop aeroplane, and you can fly into my farm. My father always said, yes, I will gladly accept. Can my sons come with? So he included me in his life. And until this time, I think it is the greatest gift I can pass on to my children to include them in my life. Because guess what? Then a bit of learning takes place. I remember my, my, my oldest daughter, when she was her first speech, I mean, it was so, 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 she was <laughs> shivering so much she couldn't speak a word. Now she won prizes in speaking. Where did it come from? Just following dad. But it didn't start that way. I mean, her first speech was a disaster. Yeah. Like all of ours, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and and we had the, we had that disasters in our adult life they can have the disasters at a younger age and learn from the parents i think just reflecting on my life my, i i was not with my father like i grew up the opposite my dad worked uh at a big company in silicon valley in california and he was gone all the time you know many nights i went to bed and he was not home and i woke up and he was off to the next day and i'm grateful for what he gave us and you know the one thing i think i did take from him is commitment you know, I knew that he loved us and he was doing this, uh, uh, you know, in his way of showing love was to just work. And, you know, but then I knew I did not want that. And I quickly found myself doing that, though I was, I was basically working really hard to not work. And then that doesn't work. So, so I spent over a decade in my career building a business so that I could have the life with my children and, yeah. and uh, it didn't work. And I, 
uh, at the house that I'm in now, my brother-in-law got married and we're at the wedding and someone that had not seen me in many, many years was there at the wedding. And he said, Steve, it's so good to see that you made it. You know, after all those years of hard work, I remember how hard you worked. And then I, I dawned on me in that moment, I, I looked at him and I said, you know, the funniest thing, I had to stop doing that to have this. Exactly. Isn't it interesting? That's amazing because what you, what's the use of winning the world and losing your family um, or, or losing your health or, or losing your souls? So you make the money and then you try to buy your health back with that money that you made. So uh, that, is, that is just not good enough. You know, the interesting thing is about our parents. Um, um, we always, I had a friend and he became an international sports star. Obviously, I will not mention his name. Um, he's known to so many people throughout the world. And he grew up in a horrendous situation. So we were boys together. It was absolutely hectic at his house. I mean, abusive father, all the alcohol, all the bad things that you can imagine. But, you know, he didn't reject his father. He looked at his father and, and he had this amazing view that I learned from him. He said, Gustav, you always have the perfect parents. I've got the perfect father in discipline because he, that, his father was also a good sports star. He taught me the discipline and that took him to international level. He said, discipline I can learn from my father. For the rest of his life, he's got the perfect example. If I just do the exact opposite, I will be a success. And isn't it amazing? We sometimes curse our circumstances. But you always have the perfect parents. Yep. And in some ways, you must just take what they and, and replicate what they give. And the rest, you must realize you must adapt it or the rest, you must just do the exact opposite and then you sort it for life. But the problem is people fall in this, this mentality from, yeah, look where I come from. Um, I say, no, no, no. Um, you always have the perfect example. Um, um, and even in life, it is so. I always say, that, um, people always teach me a lesson. Some people just teach me how not to live. So let's pause real quick and take a break, and we'll be right back. I just want to give a big shout out to Pro Audio Voices. They help me with all of my podcasts, and Becky and her team are just amazing. I've known them for years, even before I started my podcast, and that's why she was my go-to, because not only does she help me sound great and produces the podcast so it's easy for me, I can do what I do best. I do the speaking and the interviewing, and then they do all that background work to help get the podcast out there in the right way with the highest quality. But on top of that, what makes it most critical to me, for those of you that know me, wow clients are important, wow relationships are important, and working with Becky and her team is definitely wow. I get an amazing experience. I get to work with amazing people. A lot of love and hugs, let's put it that way. So if you want to work with great people and you want to get a podcast out and you want to let go of all the technology and the way that it's recorded so you can do what you do best, then you definitely want to get a hold of Pro Audio Voices. And it's ProAudioVoices.com and you'll be able to reach Becky and her team and be able to let go of all that stuff so you can do what you do best and then delegate the rest. I don't regret in any way, you know, maybe at a point I did in my younger years, I was upset. And once I got past that and I realized that I had choice, number one, that's what I had to realize first, that I had choice. And once I realized that I had that choice, then I could make uh, new ideas. And, uh, and I, I'm with you because if I had different parents, I wouldn't have gone down the road that I went. And then I wouldn't be as passionate as I am now to help other people have freedom because I knew what it was like to not have that, to believe, because it was a belief, to believe that I didn't have freedom, even though that I did. And then once I was able to ignite that and then have that life. And so I think I was meant in this life to have the yin and the yang, you know, to see both sides exactly. very passionately. And, and then now I can, I can be a better teacher because, you know, when someone says, Oh, you know, well, you wouldn't know. It's like, Oh, well I did. Yeah, actually like that's how my life was. And then now it's this way. And so I can speak firsthand. And so what a, what a blessing that, what that is, because if I wouldn't have had that, the father, the, the way that it was, then I would have, uh, who knows where I would have been. Maybe I would have been like, what's your problem? You know, yeah. life's easy. Like you could just have it. Right. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm, I'm deeply grateful for, uh, for that. And it's, it's so true. We learn from all of these elements and it for me, it comes back to choice, but I guess if we were to bring it, boil it down, you know, for the listeners right now, like what, if somebody's not having the life that they want right now and they're, they're living in, in such a way, like some of the ways we would describe right now, like what would you say would be the first step? Like how do people, you know, make a move because it always takes that first thing, but what, what would you suggest someone 
do right now if they need to that first step that nudge to start helping them go in a different direction i think i think that i i boil, get it to boil down to a very very practical thing life is always about point a and point b and a is not for acceptable it is for unacceptable and b is for best and better so all life and all coaching about taking people from point a to point b so you, you assess your life and you ask yourself um, how happy am I with my life? And then you put the diagnostic on your life and say, now, what caused me to be in that position? Is it my own choices? Is it uh, a lack of direction? Is it pain of the past holding me back? So you make an assessment what, what holds you back. And then you must do a double thing. You must heal the past to liberate your hand to, 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 to live the present and then to create the future. Um, that healing process is important because lots of people still have issues. They're paralyzed in the present because of unresolved issues from the past and a lack of direction for the future. So there's a bit of reactive work. But then the proactive work is you must clarify, be in life. You know, sports coaching is easy. You always know you want to win the cup or you want to win the, the Super Bowl or whatever. But um, in life, people don't know B, and therefore they, they drift, and therefore they don't have any direction. So the first thing I help people is with clarification coaching. Um, so you first clarify what you, the life you want. And they're not just, I want to have a car, I want to have, it is, it is the real, the true life of meaning that you want to live. And there are processes for that. And then you get an action plan to get there. So um, what people miss is an, as an architectural plan for their next life chapter. In, in my Get Alive workshops, this is exactly what I what I offer people: an architectural plan for their next for their next um, chapter in life. When people come to my consulting room, I always send them a pin. Before that, they were directionless, but now they have a B. Now the the GPS gives you the route. So people lack that B. So clarification coaching. So so what I say is. Um, heal the past, so keep that, so that's the first process, but then clarification coaching B, and then implementation coaching. It is then the step-by-step -step process to get there. I've seen, and remember I was the in-house counselor for this petrochemical company for a number of years, still run a consulting room, do speaking and all of that. I've seen people get rid of hardcore psychological problems just if you get them to become a person, from a person of pain and a person without direction to a man and a woman with a plan. I mean, if you have a plan, there's no time for nonsense. You say, oh, whatever. Um, there's no time to major in minors. I've, I know where I'm going. Your life choices become easier. Then you say, no, no, not this road, not this detour. I know where I'm heading. So probably the greatest gift you can give a person is not money, is not all of that, but is to give that person a plan or to help that person to drop their own plan. And I think that that is, we, we need more of that in life. Um, clarification coaching and then implementation coaching. I often use the GPS, as you mentioned, because I was like, when have you ever used GPS? And many of us in the world have used it now. Um, when you put in, uh, if you have the desired place to go, but you don't know where you are, or if you yeah. know where you are, but you don't know where you want to go, either way, it's not going to compute, right? You know, it's, uh, it, it's like, you know, and I use that sometimes when people don't want to share where they are, because, you know, a lot of people ask me for help, and I'm like, oh, what's going on right now? Well, why do we need to talk about that? I just want to talk about where I want to go. And that's great. Um, and it's because sometimes people have the opposite. They know where they are and they don't know where they want to go. So I've seen it both ways uh, where you get into a conversation and it's, it's important to know where you are as well as where you want to go. Otherwise, there's no, then we don't have that. And that probably is that healing place. Most of the time that people don't want to share where they are, it's because they haven't resolved those issues like you're saying. And they're like wanting to push past that. And then they're wondering why they're not able to reach for B because they're stuck in A, you know, and they haven't really let go of that anchor or the weight of whatever was, you know, that childhood trauma or whatever it is, whatever it is. Yeah. It is. I just want to reiterate. It is um, people are, I once sat in my consulting room and I was a little bit sad that day and I realized why is it that my people are struggling and I realized they are paralyzed in the present because of unresolved issues from the past. And, and worries and lack of direction about the future. And then they think they're so stuck that they can't get to the future. But, but there's an old beautiful story from South Africa, from remember the Soccer World Cup in South Africa, and all the people wanted to help all these foreign tourists, and this one guy got terribly lost into a very um, unsophisticated um, township in Cape Town. And, um, but the people out there are very helpful. So the guy said, how do I get to the Cape Town waterfront in the, in the harbor? 
And the guy said, um, okay, let me, uh, let me explain to you. Uh, let's go this way and that. He said, no, it will not work. And then he said, okay, let's take that detour next to the dam and the primary. No, I said, okay, no, that won't work. So, okay, let's, uh, let's try this. And then the guy gave up. He said, uh, sir, I don't think you can get from here to the waterfront, <laughs> which is obviously not true because you can get from anywhere to anywhere else. <laughs> and, and I think that is sometimes people are so stuck that they don't think they can get from here to there. But you must, first, the starting point is you can say, I can get from any low point to anywhere else in the world. Um, there is no impossibility here um, in, in getting from one place to another. It's it's so true. The only failure is stopping. Exactly. Like there's no failure. There's only feedback. As one of my teachers, Carl Bukite, always says, there's only feedback. And so if you get to a road and it's blocked, then you can choose to keep driving and find another way. There's always another way. That's the you know what I'm what I'm hearing you say as well. It's it's so true. Yeah. And even going through the most difficult times in your life, because um, as as a counselor, on the one hand, I sit next to the the pools of pain, and then, but also as a motivational speaker, and and I grew a bit fed up with the old helping models that just help people from minus to zero, minus to zero. Um, I wanted to take people from zero to hundred, but you sometimes meet must meet a person in a minus situation. And then I very often quote Winston Churchill that said, if you go through hell, just keep going. Because you're going to sit, you're going to burn your bum anyway. <laughs> so just keep going. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so true. You know, we, uh, I was talking with uh, Jeffrey Hazlett, who was the chief marketing officer at Kodak, and he lives in South Dakota in the middle of the United States. And there's a story about uh, cows versus buffalo. When a big storm comes, the cows will run away from the storm. Yeah. But the buffalo run towards the storm. Exactly. And, the, and then who do you think stays in the storm longer? The cows, because they're running and the storm is coming and then they're in the storm longer. Yeah. Whereas the buffalo just run right through the storm and they're out of the storm much, much quicker. And so there's a, that basically says, do you want to be the cow or the buffalo? Yeah. Oh, and I so like the story and of, of that story that says, the storm is coming and the person say, bring it on. I am the storm. <laughs> ah, even better, right? Just become, become. Um, it's, uh, it's beautiful. No, it's, it's amazing. There's the stressors in life. And very often we, we try to run away, um, but instead of going head on, I mean, stress in life is always there's a stressor and there's an ability to handle it. And if the stressor is bigger than the ability, our big, big thing is we want to curse the storm away. Um, but what would you think of a, a soccer player or a baseball player? You say, no, no, you can't put that pitcher against me. Um, or a cricket player, you can't put that bowler against me. Or for a soccer player, you can't put that striker against me. You cannot choose in life what balls are coming your way. But So don't wish the storm away. Just put on a jacket or um, get some techniques to weather the storm. And, and therefore, our essence lies not in changing the circumstances, but in upping your game and in really um, upskill yourself, um, getting your batting ability, um, upskill yourself. And I think that is, that, is, that is the amazing, beautiful part of our job, that, that we try to empower people to do that. We do not wish the reality away. Even if it's a, a worldwide virus, even if it was a credit crunch of many years ago, if, even if it's a personal crisis, um, um, realize that you cannot wish the storm away. Actually, storms are good. You know what my father said? He was, he was an amazing and interesting old man. He said, Gustav, a desert is the result of too much good weather. Wow. A desert is the result of a place where there's not enough storms. Because if you think, let everybody think back about the storms in their lives. And if you go think about that difficult time, I always ask people, did growth come from that? And they said, yes. And they said, no, was it so bad? Think about the Second World War. How many inventions that we have today, jet engines, all of those things, would be the result? Rockets. Landing on the moon was a result of the Second World War, that people um, developed these, these, these uh, engines. So if from every bad situation, um, people rise to the occasion because the storms, I mean, life bends us like this. But it very often, if you plow on all fours, it opens up fertile ground for new growth. And therefore, a person, very often, if you go through a storm, you lose your shallow friends. I've seen it so many times. 
you, you become a deeper person. You cannot deal with these shallow friends anymore because you're just a, a deeper person. It's so amazing. And even sometimes I've been shocked. The people that I thought were my closer friends went were not. And the ones that I thought were like, I, you know, it was the opposite of what I would have thought when, when it was a tough time, the people who were right there, the, the, you're right. The true friends come, come, they get risen from, from that. And, and, you know, to that point, there's so many stories we could, we could tell, but even in World War II, the there's a place in france that like the most people died so like the saddest part like so many they said it was so bad that you couldn't even see the ground there was so many bodies but that is said to be the most fertile land in europe right now oh. that you know what i mean it's it's crazy yeah, yeah. you know and and that is that you can you can turn the biggest threat in, into an into an opportunity i remember you make me remember things now from long ago. You know, very often um, when you're in a difficult situation, you must um, go through self-talk because very often people see you and they think you're fairly sorted in life, but they don't know where you're coming from and they don't know that life really dealt you also a few difficult hands that you had to play. Yeah. But I remember my, my bit of self-talk was, now we started with this word, words play on my name, Gustav and Good Stuff. But I heard many, many years ago, I heard this um, corny saying, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. You know how I self-motivated. We, we, we teach people to have these self-mantras. You don't share it in public, so I'm actually breaking a rule here. But when I went through a difficult time, I told myself, when the going gets tough, good stuff gets going. And I think that is, that, 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 that you know, there's nothing as boring for me as a sunshine day where there's no wind and nothing happening. My children think I'm crazy, but if I'm in the mountains and, and there's a storm and I can weather the storm and I can climb and brace myself against the elements, then I feel I'm, I at least now I can use my, I use my muscles and use my skill. But if there's nothing happening, oh, then, where's the, then, then your muscles don't grow. It's, uh, it's so me. And I have some friends that have been able to retire early and a few of them did take, you know, large amounts of time off, but none of them lasted uh, one person. I know one person that went longer than a year, but not much more like less than 18 months. And then they start living with purpose again, because we, you know, you know, it's like you, you brought this up earlier in the conversation, you know, uh, freedom doesn't mean, and people think that when I talk about freedom, they're like, Oh, you're the guy sitting at the beach. And you know, it's, it's not too, do I enjoy the beach? Yes. Yeah, some days, some days I enjoy the beach, but I, I don't spend all of my life there. I, I have things that I want to do and accomplish and help more people. And, you know, you, you, start, you live with purpose, right? And, and so all of when we're talking about freedom, and I know you believe the same, Gustav, is that we're just talking about living your freedom. Like, what is it that you are meant to do? And so it doesn't mean that we're sitting on the, you know, the beach, drinking a Mai Tai, you know, it's, uh, that's, that doesn't, maybe one day we do, but that doesn't mean we do that every day. You know, it's, um, it's, it's, I think something, you know what I always tell people when they think that, when they think of freedom, that, that probably means they need to take a break. They're dreaming of taking a break and they probably need a break so that they can think of what they want to do next, you know? So it's okay to take breaks. Yeah. And, and really, um, people think, um, Bliss lies in that doing nothing, lying on the beach. It's not. Bliss lies in having a, a life that you live a life worthy of your talents, with challenges worthy of your, with your talents. You know, when people retire, they, they suffer from distress. Many years ago, I read research that, that Marine generals, before they introduced programs to help them to reconnect to a next chapter in their lives, that 50% um, that of them died within three years of retirement because they were on this high level of functioning and then now suddenly they're a, a racehorse without a, a race. And what do you do then? You die out of self-defense. <laughs> so, um, so this whole concept of retirement, I've got, I've got a great issue for, with that. I mean, that was a concept when people actually sort of died at age, most people died at age 65 and they wanted to just give a person a, a year, last year or two um, um, to, to go and sit and do nothing. But now, um, you've got 20 years, 30 years after retirement and to sit for 30 years doing nothing. This is this, if you don't use a muscle, if muscle, you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. So, so I say, 
um, there, there's no way to retire. The, the only thing you can retire of is life. And the only thing, uh, the only way you can do it is to die. So you must not retire. You must rewire and then refire. I think Bob Buford introduced it many years ago in his, in his books, Halftime and Game Plan, that he said you must do repotting. So you grew out of your surround. So repot yourself. Um, I, I, I say um, you must just continue a next chapter, get a new new plan for a, a new chapter of purpose. Sometimes people still do the money. They'll need do need the money. Some people sometimes people don't need the money. But the real meaning in life is is that you constantly start continue to use your muscles. My father always said, Gustav. He said, if you if I start losing it up here, please tell me. But he was running a consulting room um, until his age, until 90 years of age. He died at age um, 92. Wow. But um, he always said, Gustav, I want to die with my boots on. Yeah. And because he skipped using it, he didn't lose it. Right. And therefore, this is my ideal. I don't want to retire. Um, I just want to refire <laughs> and continuously um, re re um, sort of um, like reimagine and reinvent yourself. And I think this is Tom Peters' great book, Reimagine. It's probably one of the best business books ever, that, um, that you must constantly reimagine and reinvent. And I think this is also, whether the world goes through a difficult corona time, you must now rethink your life because sometimes life crumbled. Your, your whole life sort of came down. But now you must not try to go back to that life. You must realize, for a good reason, some of those bad things. It's actually good that they're in the past. So don't try to go back to the past. Reimagine. You know what we must do? We must realize, and I think this is what I like about you, Steve, is you came to a point in your life that you realize what is important is important, and what is unimportant is unimportant. And I think this is now the time in world history that this whole virus thing must force us, and any other incident for that, um, must force us, number one, to think, to realign our priorities and then redesign our lives according to these priorities. So we must do two things, realign our priorities and come to terms with our mortality. I always say, and we're talking about life here, I always say, you know what? You've only started living once you've come to terms with death. Sometimes people say, you know, you've got a 3% chance to die of this virus. I always tell people, oh, you know what? Bad news. Um, in life, you've got a 100% chance of dying. So the statistical probability that you and I will die is 100%. Right. So live a life so much so that at the end of the life, that the person who buries you at least have something nice to say. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And I, I learned this loud and clear from the Shipibo people, uh, indigenous tribe in, in the Amazon jungle in South America. And they, they believe at adolescence, the biggest gift a parent can give their child is to, um, they, they teach them that you cannot live until you die. And what they're saying in the translation is that until you understand uh, that death and, you know, they don't let death be away from them. You know, I look at growing up in the United States of America, you know, death is kind of uh, absent, like almost hiding from it. You know, we yes, we go to funerals, but oh. but it's not uh, there. You know, it's not talked about as much. It's almost like ignoring that that's there. And I think that's actually a shame now as I've gotten a little wiser and traveled more, you know, knowing the mortality, like you're saying right now, that that is what allows us to live. And I do believe what they say, like until you face death, you can't fully live and because it comes back to fear. If you're afraid of death, that's the first thing, then any fear stops us from fully living. And so I think if we can, you know, realize what you're saying here and to live, then we live every day to the fullest and know that, that uh, you can change any day of your life. Yeah. You know, why not change today? You know, like when was a good time to change? If you know that, uh, you know, tomorrow may no. or may not be, right? Yeah. yeah. And the problem, the thing is, if you, if you lose the fear of something, you, then you become immune against that. If you lose the fear of death, then you become immune to it. You know what happens in our society? It's, it's quite interesting. And I've learned this from my father. There was a, um, there was a Dutch psychologist, J.H. van den Berg, and he wrote a book, Metabletica, which was actually a book on, on how um, the world changes and how new things um, come to be. And he, he explained something to me which was very helpful. That He said that, you know what, um, um, in older days, people died at home. Um, he, he recalls a story that he read in a book that, that, that grandmother died at home. They just put her there and then next day they bury her. So there's nothing, oh, there's a dead body in the house or whatever. Death was part of life. 
Yes. But we grew up, we got a society where everything which doesn't fit the norm, we sort of sideline it. If you, you know, the person who was a little bit crazy was the, was the, was the court jester. <laughs> but now we send people to a madhouse. Now, if people are just, just outside, outside the norm, so if you die, you have to die elsewhere. You cannot die here. So we divorced ourselves from the reality of this. So, so the moment we confronted it, we get a fright of our lives. And, and you know what? There are so many good stories. The moment you, when you get a close encounter with death, this is the moment when you start, start living. Because how many people get a wake-up call um, that, that they, uh, they only start living when they get this wake-up call, when they, got, when they saw death in their eyes? with their own eyes. They look down this, uh, this barrel of this gun. So, um, so then they readjust their lives. And now, whether it's a coronavirus that reminds you of your mortality, whether it's a close um, a call with an accident, uh, I just like your compatriot, Brendan Burchard, who says, after this big accident, he's, he asks himself the three questions, did I live, did I love, and did I matter? Yeah. And then you start answering them. And then you say, now I want to live fully. You know what I found is, you don't walk with this deep, dark thing, yes, I'm going to die. You, you said death is part of life. I am going to die. So what am I going to do? Um, it's like Snoopy, the Snoopy dark character of Schultz said, we're all going to die one day, Charlie Brown said, very depressed. And then Snoopy said, but we're going to live every other day. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so you're only going to die one day. That's it. But live every other day. And I've, and I've seen it in my consulting room. The only thing, you know, I had close encounters with death and some of my best friends died in, in motor vehicle accidents, leaving me behind and with all sorts of feelings. And their death caused me to make a very strong decision and to say, I'm going to live as if I'm going to die tomorrow. And this will cause you to live according to priorities. There's no time for nonsense. There's no time to major in minor. So I'm going to live as if I'm going to die tomorrow. But then I'm not going to live recklessly, spend all my money. I'm going to plan as if I'm going to become very old, live a very long time. So this duality, this polarity is live the moment, live the present moment. And ask my kids, when my mother was still alive, she said, Gustav, why? You are, you've lived two lifetimes in one lifetime already. I said, Mom, no, that's the biggest compliment I ever got. Because I want to live intensely and intentionally and get everything out of this moment. You know, when you live like that, then you can die with peace. But I've seen so many people, I've did work in an oncology practice, and there are people who die peacefully, and there are people who don't die peacefully. And people who die peacefully, as the people who loved passionately and lived fully, and then they can, then they can actually go um, to, um, to the new level. That's it, that's it, that's it. It's a beautiful point, and we're and we're coming almost to our time here. And it's it's actually like you know you always look how to end a show here, like you know when we're doing a podcast like this, and you know we've come and uh, circled around so many topics in this conversation, but to come to this, it's uh, it, it it almost makes it just a perfect ending. It's it really is. Uh, you know we've covered you know, to choose your life and you get to choose that and you can live it fully if you, if you choose that as well. And, and that is what's going to make peace at the end of your days. You know, it's, there's nothing worse than I wish I did this. Or I wish I did that. It's, uh, it's, it's living now. And, you know, I always, I always like to end the show, you know, we kind of already gave like one tip and you, we talked about, you know, finding clarity, moving away from our, our past things and being able to go towards B. But if there's one other thing, if this was the last time someone heard from you or they just heard on this podcast, uh, what would be one thing you'd like to share before we close out the show? What would be that one thing? I think don't worry about the days of your life um, worry about the life in your days. And the only thing you can, your only remedy against death is love passionately and live fully. And then one day when you're finished, and I don't go for safety in the grown-up times, don't go for safety. I want to die depleted, used up. I'm not here for safety. If you go for safety, you take life away. If you live a life of risk, of calculated risk, and live fully, wow, then at least people, you can die at peace. And the people will be very sad at your funeral but they will say this person truly lived. So beautifully said, brother. That is the good stuff. <laughs> you yeah, generally are like, I, I'm, I was so excited to have you on the show and 
And just from the day that I met you, uh, we could have started recording our conversations. I mean, pretty much we've been on the same page and, and we learn from each other because we've had different experiences and we say things in different ways, but it's always beautiful to have a conversation with you, brother. Always. There's unison and truth. And Steve, thank you for also inspiring my life. Your life is more of a message than your talk. So good for you, brother. Well, thank you. And I do have to say one funny anecdote to end this with. When, when I'm traveling at the conferences and, and Gustav and I are both speak, you know, speaking and we're there, then people have uh, mistaken my children for Gustav's because he's traveling with his children. Everyone knows, hey, it must be <laughs> Gustav's children. And he's like, no, these are Steve's children. <laughs> I mean, uh, but, um, you know, that was I, I took as uh, showing how complimentary our our lives are that uh, they just automatically think it must, if they knew you, then it must be your children. But uh, we are both doing the same thing. We're traveling and living with our families. And so it's uh, a beautiful residence, brother. Yeah, do your children a favor, include them in your life. And guess what? When, you know, my daughter did the speech the other day about this whole thing, about the father was always too busy. And when the father is old, the child is too busy. You know what? Include your children in your life. And guess what? Perhaps they will include you in their lives when they're older. <laughs> Beautifully said. Beautifully. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to find you? Uh, the best way is um, send me an email, gustav at gustavhaus.co.za. I know it's difficult in other countries to pronounce it because the G is pronounced differently, Gustav at Gustav Haus, but rather read it on, on the screen. Yes. Um, and or just go to my website, um, gustavhaus.co.za. Um, ZA is the old Dutch word for Zuid Africa, South Africa. Um, so it's now New Zealand. So it is .co.za, gustavhaus.co.za. Go to my website, you'll get all the particulars there. And we'll put, we'll put it in the show notes as well so that people can click and that, that'll be beautiful. So uh, once again, thank you so much, Gustav. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the More Business, More Life podcast. I hope you got value. And if you did, we have so many more things for you at stevenopleton.com. You'll be able to connect with us on social media. We are active. You can ask us questions. And then on top of that, I want to give you a really big gift. And it truly is. We want to give so much value. We have an offering. It's a program called Clear Path to Customers. It's the same way that we attract wow clients and only working with the right people, the people we want to. And it's transformed my business into millions more in revenue with the right people and my clients. And we're doing it absolutely free. So you can go to stevenopleton.com and grab that. You just got to put in your information. We'll send it to you promptly. And that again is on stevenopleton.com. Com. I look forward to having you on the next show. Until then, remember, choose gratitude and create freedom. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.